This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafuma. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Good evening, everyone. This is Reverend Mark Thompson, the host of Make It Plain, and also one third of Community First Solutions. Another third is with us, Kedada Asmara Gray. Everyone. Hey, what's going on? Good to see you. We tonight want to talk about a topic that's uh, been getting some coverage, especially local coverage in the ATL, but probably, or in the A, I should say. That's what we say now. We say the A for the A. But those of us in the national audience don't seem to know as much about it. We've been hearing about it, but want to understand more and, and just how serious it is and how untimely it is. We've been talking about police and reckoning and police accountability. So why are people building amusement parks for police officers? We want to get into all that with our outstanding panel that we have here uh, with us. I'm going to introduce everyone. Kadada, first of all, we have the Reverend Kiana Jones of Community Movement Builders and the Faith Coalition to Stop Cop City. She does not play. And we're happy to have her. Welcome, Reverend Jones. We also have with us Gerald Griggs, the president of the Georgia State Conference of the NAACP. Brother Gerald, good to see you as always. We also have with us Kyle Bibby, senior campaign director at Color of Change. Kyle, welcome, my brother. Good to see you as well. Glad you're here for this discussion. And last but certainly not least uh, a journalist. He writes for the Intercept Rolling Stone and local publications covering criminal justice politics in Georgia. George Cheedy is also here with us. George, welcome to you, my brother. It is, it's good to see you. Let's begin uh, this way. If you all don't mind, we'll go ladies first. Rem Jones, first of all, let's have, try to help people understand exactly what is Cop City in a nutshell. Let's have you set the stage uh, for those who may be watching and don't really understand what this is. What is Cop City? So Cop City is, unfortunately, a proposed so-called public safety training facility proposed by the city of Atlanta and those current council members. It is really being heavily pushed by current Mayor Andre Dickens, although at the time that it was approved. Mayor Dickens was on the city council. He did vote in favor of it. This is a complex that would encompass about 380 acres of land where they would be cutting down the South River Forest in the city of Atlanta, Georgia, which is also known as the lungs of Atlanta. They would have within that complex for public safety training, a mock city in which to practice urban warfare. They would have bomb testing facilities. They would have a Black Hawk helicopter landing pit. They would even have a bar for the cops to hang out in after they do all of their training. And there is also supposed to be a public training facility for firefighters. However, there is some speculation at this point as to whether that would actually go into the plan. Because as it stands, this project is about $2 million over budget from what was originally proposed, and things have been changing as of late. Gerald Griggs, Georgia State Commerce President of NAACP, why should people be concerned about this and, in fact, opposed to it? 
Yeah, I think people should be concerned. Freedom Summer 2020 was the biggest protest in the history of the state, history of the city. And people were calling for police accountability, not uh, increased funding and training. And so because of the location where Cop City or the Public Safety Training Center will be built, the Georgia State Conference and the Atlanta NAACP and the CAB and NAACP oppose it. And the reason why others should oppose it is because it will disproportionately target communities of color, particularly African-American communities. And we are opposed to any continued militarization of the police as a practical matter. You know, when um, National President Derek Johnson back in 2020 said, we're done dying, we meant exactly that. And we have voiced our displeasure both publicly and privately with both administrations, the previous administration and the current administration. And we are concerned about the further militarization of police. So we think that everyone should know what's happening and we should give voice as the oldest civil rights organization that we will continue to oppose the continued militarization of the police. And we will call for police accountability. The issue is not training. The issue is holding individuals accountable when they violate the public trust. And, and that's why we have stood against um, the building, the public safety training center as far back as, as the beginning. Remember, we were marching in the streets for Ray Shard Brooks and we were marching in the streets for Jimmy Atchison. We were marching in the streets for Alexia Christian and Oscar Kane and Kane Rogers. And, and ultimately, George Floyd happened and, and the city and the state really were in an uproar and, and we were calling on accountability, not more training. So that's one of the reasons why we stand in opposition. We have been offered a position on the, the public safety task force and we will continue both publicly and privately to demand that one, public safety training center not be built, and two, that we focus on police accountability and not further training. Kyle Bibby of Color of Change, where's the money coming from uh, for this? And how is Color of Change seeking to hold corporations accountable involved in this? There's a whole component to this that I think is getting forgotten a lot of times, and it, it requires really digging deep into the background of how this project is being funded. So Cop City itself is approximately $90 million total. And that $90 million is not being appropriated by the Atlanta City Council, or there's a portion that they're paying for, but about two thirds, approximately $60 million worth of this project is actually coming from private donations via major corporations, Coca-Cola, UPS, Verizon, Wells Fargo, and they don't even make the donations directly to the city. These donations actually go to the Atlanta Police Foundation. And then the Atlanta Police Foundation then makes that as a gift to the Atlanta Police Department. So there's very little oversight in terms of how these dollars end up from some of the richest people in the country. Because again, these foundations, they're not run democratically at the corporations, you know, and there certainly isn't democratic oversight from the city. These massive donations come from some of the richest people in the world. They go to the Atlanta Police Foundation and then they end up providing equipment, facilities like Top City, and there's very little oversight. And it doesn't just happen in Atlanta. It's actually a national problem, but this is one of the most egregious examples that we've seen. At Color of Change, we've been trying to highlight that, that there's a major component of this that is around just bad governance and money talking more than the community. The community has been very clear about how they feel about this project, but nonetheless, the project moves forward with two-thirds of its funding coming from 
some of the richest people in the country who, as we all know, I'm sure on this call, have a very different uh, relationship with the police than the community of Atlanta does. I, I do have one follow-up view, Kyle. What is what are those corporations' interest in this? What is their incentivization to to help finance this? There are. I can't say that I know specifically what each individual major donor is thinking, but the truth is, there's always been a very there's a historic and deep tie between the richest people in this country wanting the police to protect their best interests. And just as politicians can be bought by major corporations, this is just another apparatus to ensure that the police department has a good relationship with these major corporations. In some instances, yeah, I'm actually from New Jersey. There's been examples of companies that have, if they didn't, you don't have good relationship with the police, then you get shaken down. And the truth is, the ties here between the big money, the ties between that and public safety are very unhealthy for the community. It, it comes at a detriment to our ability to actually provide a safe community. And there's a massive opportunity cost for real solutions for crime, for education and housing and things like that. We're going to come back to you. And folks, I want you all to be ready because color change also. We don't have these conversations without assignments. Color change has some marching orders for us. George Cheedy, you've been writing about this. Uh, in fact, a headline you wrote recently, uh, why Atlanta is rushing to build Cop City. Why is Atlanta rushing to do this, George? And welcome again. I'm glad to be here. And let me say, uh, I echo everything Kyle just said. This is at least as much about the money as anything else. One of the reasons I think that they're rushing through this the way they're doing it is because the financial markets and the economy are very quickly getting away from everybody here. That $2 million overrun is likely to be a $20 million overrun over the course of the next three to six months. Between inflation and an economic slowdown, that all of the member organizations of the Atlanta Police Department, Atlanta Police Foundation, are likely to sustain. APF needs to move fast because I think they're not going to have the money they need to build anything unless they move very quickly. And I think the city is aware of that too, because uh, it's entirely possible that APF will go hat in hand to the city council and to the mayor saying, look, we're not actually going to be able to cover our whole end. You're going to need to kick in more than the 30 million that asked you. If it gets to a point where there's a referendum necessary in order to make a bond issuance on this project, it's got to die. And they know that and their risk in their mind is very short term. They're moving as quickly as they can. Greetings. So I am, first, let me say, welcome to everyone on behalf of the Community for Solutions team. Thank you for joining us in this conversation that is so important. And let me just say that I um, live in Atlanta and this whole idea of Cobb City has gone above my head for so many different reasons. There's so many different paths. There's so many different conversations. We've got two counties. I can literally see in the chat who's missing from which county. I see a lot of people, a lot of activists in the A um, that are present. In, and if you don't know me, if you don't know as the Community First Solutions team, one third of us is not here tonight, but we are movement consultants who wanted to do um, social justice very differently from what we have seen in the past. 
and coming into the new age, coming out of the pandemic and just trying to teach, give voice, train up you all in different ways to do this movement work. And so with that, I also need to make a disclaimer. The Community First Solutions team, we have not taken any official position. This is something for us to learn more about, to give you guys voice to, as with any other other of our conversations, and for us to learn, because this, we will all give voice and we know how to support each other. And I've already learned a lot already. And I have a question, and I promise you all, we will let you all come on. So if you have any questions, send me a message privately if you want to come on come on screen so we can see your pretty and handsome faces. Please let us know that too. And so we will make that happen. I do have a question for Reverend Kiana because I just learned today that the other half of this was supposed to be fire service. And I'm fascinated. We all know that the the police unions unions are very powerful in this country, but they're our firefighter unions are very quiet. And does anyone know where they stand on this? Because I know a lot of firefighters in Atlanta and they're not saying a word. Like there is nothing being said about this at all. And I know, honestly, I don't know the last time anyone had a problem with the firefighter, to be honest. And so I just want, and I'll start with you, um, Reverend Jones, about that, your thought about that. But I do find that silence very um, loud. Definitely. And that is a question that we get asked a lot is where do the firefighter union stand? And the answer is we are not quite sure because we hear from individual firefighters who do say, hey, look, we need a training facility. Like we are literally over a college campus doing classes Mm -hmm. and we are going to other places to learn how to drive our engines and do our training. So this is something that we need. But if there has been at least one union of firefighters to stand and say, hey, we stand with APF on city, there has not. The only thing that we have heard heretofore is that there have been some firefighters who just say, look, we need this. They don't get into anything about police training. They don't get into anything about the other aspects of the project. They will just maintain that it is something that is needed for the fire departments here in the city of Atlanta. But any official statement has eluded me. I do believe that it is most likely just the fact that they feel like this isn't a place that we need to say anything. They're handling it on their end, they being the APF and the police unions. So let us just sit back and see what we're going to get out of this. Thank you for that. Kyle, I was wondering, with the breakdown of the budget, do you know if, because obviously the police union, the foundation, let me be correct, the foundation does not fund the fire services. So do we know, are we getting like, Double donations are part of this money going to the police, part of the money going to the fire services. Where is this going? One thing I cannot say fully what the actual like percentage breakdown of how much the facility will be used for, you know, these certain services or those sort of services. I will say that they estimated, I believe, that 40 percent of the uh, people using the facility will actually not be from the state of Georgia. 
Uh, so this is actually a project that has national implications. And I will tell you, my, my first career before I became involved in this sort of work, I was actually in the military for seven years. I was in the infantry and the Marine Corps. I'm familiar with these facilities, very familiar, because these are the same sort of facilities that we used when we were training for combat. And this is really an issue that we really want to talk about here, which is that when you give the old saying, you give someone a hammer, everything becomes a nail. When you give militarized equipment to police, everything starts to look like a war zone, right? So this is going to have national implications in terms of how police across the country are being trained and how we're continually pushing them towards being militarized. Now, on the point of the fire departments, I do know that there was supposed to be some portion of the facility that they could use, but the vast majority of this facility, from what I understand, is specifically for urban direct action sort of training, the sort of training that ultimately we want police to move away from, and it's not really the best way for us to provide for a safe community. That's all I can really say about the actual use. Again, 40% will not even be from Georgia. Gerald, what are your thoughts around the idea that this will be a national hub for training? And what, where do you find, because where do you find a place for the community in, in social justice organizations at the table for what should they be requesting? Because what if this, what if they don't listen to the community and they build anyway? And, and that's why it's a difficult conversation. And we chose to be a part of the task force because we do recognize that there may be the building of the, the training facility. And so the people need to have a voice. And there are several members on the task force who are opposed to the building of public safety training center of cop city, but are on the task force because we need to make sure that one, one is not built, but two, if it is built, we have input into the building. But I, I do want to state that we are gravely concerned about the uh, use of militarization on the training facility and the fact that there are already two uh, very well-funded public safety training centers in the state of Georgia. There is the public safety training center down in Forsyth, which is Gypstick, the Georgia public safety training center. And then there's the federal public training center on the coast. Uh, so we do push back on the city a little about the fact that they think that they need a training facility. There are training facilities around the state. They just have to travel. One of the biggest pushbacks we have is the use of national figures coming in, other than that, police from other places, not only nationally, but internationally. That is going to be a grave concern. And what we are definitely concerned about is that Atlanta may become the hub and a poster child for the building of these training centers as a response to the call from the community for police accountability. As we continue to push back on that, people weren't demanding more training. They were demanding more accountability. If you have more accountability, we believe that the relationship between law enforcement and the public can go to a better place than it is right now. I don't know if you can fully rebuild the trust, but I think it go to a better place. But we are concerned that there is not a need for this size of facility in Atlanta, which is considered a black Mecca, sitting in DeKalb County, not even in the, the city of Atlanta proper, but in DeKalb County. And that's why both the Atlanta NAACP and the DeKalb NAACP have all voiced uh, their concern and their uh, opposition to this, particularly Atlanta, 
has stated that the Public Safety Training Center does not need to be built where it's actually going to be built. It needs to be moved if it is going to be built. And so I just think that we wanted to lend our voice in concern, but we also wanted a seat at the table to make sure whatever goes into this facility, it would be open to the public for public use, more so driven by accommodations where the public can, can use it and not so much militarization or training that would be used and weaponized against the Black community. Thank you. Gerald, you just piqued my interest. You said international. What is the international spin on this? Because I'm not familiar with that. My understanding, my understanding is that other countries, particularly countries that have an issue with over-militarized police, will come to participate in training at the facility or will lead training at the facility. So we've have, we have information that there will be national and international participation at the center. Okay. Interesting. George, you look like you have something to say. Oh, sorry. sorry. I was just going to add to that, Kidada, what Gerald was saying. I wanted to talk about GILI, which is the Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange. It was established in 1992, and it's a joint project of Georgia State University, local, state, federal, and international public safety agencies. And the program sends law enforcement officials to trainings in Israel as part of a training cooperative with the IDF. So when we think about those images that we saw very recently of Israeli Defense Force members beating Palestinian Muslims as they pray during Ramadan, I want you to think about that and get a real clear picture of that in your mind, because those are the people who we have a partnership with who have trained here, who will train here, and who would potentially train other law enforcement agencies from around this country if Cop City were to be built. Thank you for that. Sheedy, I was going to give you a voice. You look like you had something to say. Well, there's just a lot of this conversation is really germane. Particularly the Jilly stuff. I have met some of the liaisons between Jilly and the city in semi-full circumstances. Some of the work that I was doing with Central Atlanta Progress put me in contact with the police department as I was working on other matters. The folks from Jilly in Atlanta have a very dim view of Black lives stuff. I heard one fellow before, like repeatedly referring to Angela Davis as uh, a terrorist. Yeah, talking about how the uh, chants that were being chanted, and this was 2017, 2018, Michael Brown protest era. They were, he was politically describing the protesters as communists. And I'm looking at that sort of bias in terms of Jilly's involvement here as questionable. And honestly, I think. It should, it's not just questionable, it should be actively questioned. None of this is a comment on Israeli politics. I'm just saying, I, I don't think that organization serves the public in Atlanta, period, full stop. The, the capital stat here, the money, like I keep coming back to the money. The, the city doesn't get any of this revenue. This facility is going to be built. 
more or less by the Atlantic Police Foundation. And it's going to be used as a revenue generator by the Atlanta Police Foundation. And there are no constraints in its curriculum that wire anybody who's training there to meet Atlanta's standard for training, never mind a progressive standard for training. I would actually be satisfied if they were legally obligated for anybody who came through there to meet Atlanta's training standards for police, because then we as political activists and community members in Atlanta could influence Atlanta's policing regimen. And from there, it could theoretically have a positive effect on policing for all of these organizations that would come and use the place. But that's not even on the table. What I've just described is not up for discussion. The Atlanta Police Foundation, by the way, is the second largest police foundation in the United States behind New York, which I cannot understand. Larger than the Los Angeles Police Foundation, larger than the Chicago Police Union, larger than Philly. Like Atlanta has the 23rd largest police department in the United States and the second largest corporate nonprofit arm. They're building this in part so that there's a revenue stream around all of this that is untied to the city, given Atlanta's history of corruption, should be examined closely. Like Atlanta has a terrible corruption history over the last 20 years. And there's been an FBI agent everybody's, in everybody's backyard who's in office here for years. And so the idea that they're going to spend upwards at this point, I would think of $100 million or more on a project where the project leadership is by a nonprofit organization that doesn't have to answer an open records request and doesn't have to allow a journalist like me to go find out what's going on, should be suspicious. And you don't have to be a police abolitionist to believe that, which is why I, the, as many people in Atlanta have been opposed to this. It's because it smells funny. I was also in the military. I spent five years. Four of those five were, were with an infantry division. And they're designing a mountain course. It's a military operations on urban terrain training course. There's other stuff there too. But it's hard. Like it has all of the hallmarks that you'd want if you're trying to train how to kick in doors and flashbang rooms without taking fire. That's the purpose of this, of the design. And if we're in this militarized policing thing, that, that design is going to be used by people to train how to kick in doors and flashbang rooms. There has to be a training constraint. And I'm looking for whatever means are necessary in order to get that constraint into the system you for that. I just, I think many of us, a lot of people that I've spoken to, we do have a lot of discussion around the training and the curriculum because we'd all love to see things like de-escalation techniques. We'd like to see some of these weapons and I'm not good with weapons, y'all. So I just know that I should not feel like I'm at war with the local police department. I mean, I don't think anybody wants that and I'm not too sure if that really feels safe to anyone. But I will say this, that I am challenged by the fact that this conversation is around Atlanta 
And then there's also DeKalb County and DeKalb County seems a little silent on this. That's from my perspective. And I think that when we say Atlanta too, Atlanta can be as far as Gwinnett County. It can be as far as South is making. So I think that some people might be confused with that language because I think the property is in DeKalb and it's owned by the Atlanta unit. And I don't even know if DeKalb Police Department has anything to do with this. And what is what are their thoughts on this? Anyone can take that um, that question or if they have an understanding that they'd like to share to all with all of us. So, yeah, I'll take that because I am a resident of DeKalb County. I live right behind the proposed training facility. It is within the city of Atlanta, but as Gerald mentioned earlier, not quote unquote Atlanta proper because it is also in Southeast DeKalb County and under the jurisdiction of the County of DeKalb. So DeKalb County Board of Commissioners do have a say in what happens with that property. So the residents of DeKalb County have not been silent at all. The residents of DeKalb County are speaking up. They have been speaking up in more farther east in DeKalb who are learning about what's going on. More and more DeKalb residents are speaking up. The DeKalb County Board of Commissioners, however, has been markedly silent on this issue. There is one commissioner in particular who did decide to, <laughs> and, and I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna ping pong this over to George in, in just a second, but one commissioner in particular who has asked questions and did ruffle some feathers over at the DeKalb County Board of Commissioners, but CEO Michael Thurman has been very content to simply take his marching orders from Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens and fall in line with what it is that has been asked of him with very little questions and no accountability to the community. George, I'll let you talk a little bit more about the standpoint from the DeKalb County Board of Commissioners. Just a bit, because uh, I, I saw that you were going there. Um, so Ted Terry, who is one of the super commissioners, De DeKalb County has seven commissioners, five represent the state districts, and two of them yeah, represent a like a super district that is imposed on various chaps of the county. Ted Terry is what represents half of DeKalb County. He's a former Clarkston mayor. He's a social media fiend and an environmentalist. He put an environmentalist. He nominated an environmentalist to serve on the advisory board, who was summarily thrown off of the advisory board after raising environmental questions. He is not just ruffled feathers, but his feathers are also ruffled. And I think that matters. And so he's been working very closely with folks who are pressing the legal case on this. There's a quirk in the state law that says a municipality does not have to pay attention to the zoning requirements of a local community if they own the property that that, that property if that, that's in that community. DeKalb, at least on paper, really couldn't do much to say, no, Atlanta, you can't build this here. If they had built it within the city limits of Atlanta proper, it would have been subject to review by neighborhood planning units. It likely would have had to go through a planning and permitting process that would have been more transparent. They, the fact that it's being built here is an end run around public commentary, a public complaint. And I don't think that's unintentional. 
It's part of the reason why there seems to be all of this resistance to, why don't you just move it? And it's because they know wherever they move it, if it's in the city limits of Atlanta, they're looking at a fight. And it's a different fight because they'd be fighting with their own constituents. Yeah, thank you for that. It, it's interesting because, and the reason I ask, I do a lot of work, and Sheedy knows this, is in DeKalb County. And Jones, I can share with you, that has never been a topic in the years. And I deal with a lot of constituents and a lot of policy at the state level. This is, it, it's so fascinating that because on the DeKalb side of the house, sometimes I have to ask even DeKalb legislators, do you all know what's going on? Because they have not said. And it is really interesting that our legislature really hasn't had any say, hasn't given a lot of information, hasn't given any type points of reference on where they stand on this topic because it is straddling particular lines between Atlanta and DeKalb counties. And we we need more. And so I'm going to, I see Reverend Mark is coming back on, but if I can have a point of order, I do have a question because we like, we understand here at Community First Solutions, the power of defining words because we feel like whoever owns the, the definition really drives a lot of change. And so for each one of our panelists, we always talk about accountability and police accountability. And so I would like to know from each of you, what does police accountability, how would you define that term? Because I want us to come into agreements and so that we are all understanding what it is that we're talking about when we talk about police accountability. First, you want me to? Uh, police accountability means that police officers are not above the law. And so when you violate the law, you're held to the same standard as a citizen, a civilian. If you kill somebody and there's an investigation and the GBI completes their investigation, one, that needs to be transparent. Two, it needs to be presented to a grand jury. And three, the citizens of that, of that county need to make a decision on whether or not this violates the societal norms and the law. There seems to be a blockage in all 159 counties, but particularly in the city of Atlanta, in Fulton County, and, and to a large part in DeKalb County as well. And so police accountability means that I don't have to click on Twitter every single day and see a police-involved shooting and then wait five or six or 10 years for an officer to be determined whether or not it was a justifiable shooting and they will stand trial. So ultimately, from the NAACP's perspective, we need to make sure that police officers are held to the same standards and the laws as everybody else. And if you are killing somebody and it's unjustified, you stand trial before the community like anybody else in a courtroom in the 159 counties in Georgia. Definitely agree with that summation, Gerald. The only thing that I would modify a bit is that police officers need to be held to a higher standard because they know these laws better than everyday citizens. And they are the ones who are charged with enforcing the laws. They are the ones who have taken an oath to protect and serve and have violated those oaths many times. So when I think about accountability, I definitely think about the fact that no one should be able to get off for doing something that's wrong. Nobody should be able to get away with murder. And that's just the long and short of it. One thing that I hear all the time is a lot of people talking about gun violence. We never condemn police murders as gun violence. Most murders by police 
are shooting deaths. We need to talk about that when we are having these conversations. Stop putting these people in a special category as if what they're doing is not the same as Joe Blow shooting his cousin on the street. It is. So when we talk about accountability, we definitely need to think about everything that Gerald just iterated, but also holding these police officers who are supposed to protect and serve to a much higher standard than what we would hold an ordinary citizen to. Yeah, and, and if I may, I really appreciate what my, my two colleagues were saying here about accountability. There's a level to this also that is beyond just holding police accountable. It's making sure that the institutions themselves are accountable mm-hmm. to the community, right? Like when we spoke earlier about the amount of money that's coming from these private corporations, that is a corrupting effect that now has an impact on how the police ultimately will respond to the community. We need to break those sorts of, of connections. The police should really only be receiving funding from the community that they are supposed to be supporting, period. There should be no apparatus for very rich or prominent people in the community to funnel their own dollars towards the people who should be providing us public safety. And that's why we, over a color change, we've been really elevating the corporate side of this, the corporate angle that these corporations, again, even their foundations of the corporations, they're not run typically by people who have day-to-day jobs at the organization. They're run by some of the, the owners and the, and the big-time shareholders. Accountability is also challenging that and getting down to the, the, the bottom of um, the institutions that ultimately influence the police and determine like what their priorities will be. Because if they had those sort of, if they had accountability to the community, we wouldn't be having this conversation because the community would have been heard and that facility would not be, would not be built. Yeah, good, good points. Uh, all made. Uh, Excellent point. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Rem Jones, talk to us a bit about the community and how mobilized the community is or is not. I know you, our sister, you've been holding some folk accountable who are not holding police accountable. This has somewhat become another issue that has been impacted by some of the divisions in our community, establishment, bourgeoisie versus the grassroots. I mean, talk to us about that. This is the A, and you've even had to call out some of our colleagues in the ministry. I have. 
I have. And I do that unapologetically. And what I want people to understand is that I'm not coming from a place of spite, but I'm coming from a place of truth because this is my community. This is where I was born and raised. This is where I'm now raising my children and cultivating my family. And I want to see it be what I know it can be. Atlanta has for so long been touted as this Black Mecca, the place where Black people can go and thrive. If there's no other place in the country that Black people can make it, they can do it in Atlanta, has been what people have thought for so long. But lately, I've seen Atlanta move away from that. And it is largely because of the Black misleadership class. We have people in leadership and positions of authority who are leading us astray because they are maintaining that unspoken relationship between the Black bourgeoisie and the elected officials and then the white supremacist infrastructure. When we talk about the things that are happening in Atlanta, there was no issue with the concerned Black clergy coming out to rail against me after the Faith Coalition to Stop Cop City did a, a press conference in front of City Hall. They had no problem railing against me because Andre Dickens' pastor is a part of that coalition. So they are at his beck and call. You also have quite a few other pastors who are there, who are really there for photo ops, who are there to be in front of a camera, who are there because they want their church's name somewhere. They want to be known as a part of the movement, but they're not moving those things on behalf of the people who they have chosen to serve. And that's really not fair. And then we have those elected officials who we truly believed in, believed in. We have some council members who came out with us while we protested SB 202 back in 2020 and 2021. We had people who were there with us who we said, what if anybody is going to do a good job for us, it's going to be this person or it's going to be that person. And those very same people have now gone back on the things that they said to the community about where they stood, even about Cop City. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Antonio Lewis ran on a platform of, I'm against this. But now what he says is, there's nothing I can do about it. And first of all, he's lying because every council member on the Atlanta City Council has the authority to offer a resolution to cancel that lease for any reason. All they have to do is give a certain amount of time notice to make that resolution. Now, other council members can vote on that resolution if they would approve that resolution. And even if the mayor vetoed that resolution, all they need is 10 out of those 16 members of the Atlanta City Council to say, we want this resolution to stay and we don't want Cop City. So I want people to stop lying. And when you think about things like that, People will say that's just semantics that you're debating, but no, it's a matter of truth because it is a lie when you say that there is nothing that you can do. There is something that you can do because there are quite a few of these council members who have said at different times, oh, if I could have voted against it, I would have. But you had the opportunity to take your vote against it, to take a stand against it. And what I would proffer to them is that even if you made that stand, and your colleagues did not stand with you, at least you would be true to who you claim to be and true to the people who voted for you because that's what we want to see. We want to see leadership that is bold, not only when they are running for office and want votes, but we want people who are bold enough to stand 
even if they have to stand by themselves, what we want to see is people who want that down to the political infrastructure. Because I tell you one thing, there is no seat that cannot be taken. Nobody has a safe seat. All seats are up for grabs. And I'm telling you right now that if you're listening to my voice and you're a person who's not standing with the people, I am going to make sure that seat that you're in goes to someone else when the next election comes around. Gerald, let me ask you a question in terms of these politicians switching sides and, and people being all over the place. Is is it also being Cop City also being weaponized as some type of panacea of those in our community, in the black community who are victims of crime, afraid of crime? I mean, you know, some of our own people want more police. We, we do that. Some of our churches, some of our ministers, the, the, the two sides of this coin, unfortunately, is that what's making some of the individuals that uh, Reverend Young is describing, Reverend County is describing as those who are either on the fence or thinking about it in another way or maybe even accepting of it? Is that a factor in this? I think so. I think after 2020, when uh, we were outside protesting for Ray Sharp Brooks and so many others, the blue flu happened and, and they started beating the drum about crime. And let's be clear on something in Atlanta. Crime is down. It's been down. And what people are not talking about is police don't make you more safe. They respond to incidents after they've happened. And a crime is not determined until it comes to the place I've been for the last two days on trial. That's a courtroom. And so because we had the COVID pandemic and the courts were closed for 18 months, there was a backlog of cases. And so there was more opportunity for people to go unpunished when their cases were not resolved expeditiously. Now the court system is back open. And I think it's disingenuous of politicians to weaponize the crime narrative when actually the Supreme Court justice said that it was going to take about 24 to 36 months for the judicial branch to get back up and running and catch up with the backlog. That's happening right now. So if we're really talking about wanting to reduce crime and reduce recidivism, you need to fund the judicial branch fund the prosecutors, fund the defense attorneys, fund the judges, and we'll get through this backlog and you will see that crime is actually down because law enforcement are not the law. They are just to bring the individuals to the one place where the law is determined and crime is determined. That's a courtroom. The issue that I have as the NAACP president, also as a civil rights attorney and criminal defense attorney is we're not being honest about this conversation. Crime has been down. It continues to be down. And they're using the politics of division and fear to feed into a narrative that they don't want police officers held accountable. They want to scare the public and necessitate the building of these large training facilities that are not going to reduce crime. If anything, they're going to bring more people into the system, either through unfortunate law enforcement involved shootings or mass incarceration. So we got to have this conversation from a point of clarity of what the system actually does and how we make the system run the way it's more just. Now, never be completely just, but it can be more just if we are honest with what is happening. If we're honest that there was a blue flu after Ray Sharp Brooks when former district attorney Paul Howard charged those officers so expeditiously and the police department saw that accountability was on the horizon and they started weaponizing other tough on crime stance. Wow. Okay. Kyle, uh, talk to us about color changes 
campaign and what you all are asking people to do online, if you would, please. Yeah, sure. You know, I just dropped a link in the chat. It's uh, for a petition that we're putting forward. We, we're of the belief that we can't break ground and build this facility if you don't have the proper funding and that we need to start talking more about this corrupting effect that exists between these private donors and private major, major corporations, these foundations, and how they funnel money into the police departments across the country, especially in Atlanta, without any accountability. That petition that we put in the chat, and we would love for people to share, it's an opportunity for us to raise our voices to the corporations, especially the ones who have been donating to the Atlanta Police Foundation, and to apply pressure to let them know that we understand wh where their dollars are going. And, and if they don't, we'll tell them, because this, is, this really is, it is not healthy for a community to have uh, its, its uh, public safety dictated by private donors inside rooms where there is not accountability. We, we, our, my other colleagues here have already spoken about the difficulty just having public officials who you can go right into their office and get a meeting. I can't get a meeting. None of us here can probably get a meeting with the folks who decide where those millions of dollars will go from Coca-Cola's foundation or Target's foundation or these other companies. Again, we want to prop that up. We think it's a great way for us to change the conversation around this and, and really get at the heart of the resources that will ultimately be used to try to build this facility. Folks, color change. That'll be sure and see the link, share the link. You all can sign it if you like. Gerald, any is the NAACP exploring any legal or loss, legal challenges, lawsuit options at all? Currently, like I said, we, we are on the task force. So we're hopeful through that role, we can make cooler heads prevail and, and force people to listen to the community. But litigation is always an opportunity and possibility. There's already been litigation by DeKalb County, which was unsuccessful. So we, we always use all uh, avenues, but currently we're in the um, advocacy role. And if it needs to go to litigation, we'll return to that when the time is necessary. So even though you're a part of the task force, you, you all are still advocating that this thing not even come to fruition and not even be built. Absolutely. That's the right. only reason why we joined the task force. Right. We made that clear both publicly and privately. And, and I want people, I, want, I hope people get in the context here because we're not just talking about Atlanta police or DeKalb police, 40, they'll be 40%, but this will be an, an international training facility for further militarization of the police, right, George Chidi? There we go. Yes, that is correct. And its financing is utterly dependent on being pulling revenue, not just from the rest of Georgia, but from the rest of the country. Yeah, yeah. Reverend Jones, first, George, let me ask you, though. I want you to chime in on this question of who supports this and, and who doesn't. Do you find that the majority of people in the area are against this? Or do you find that there, there is a, a, a critical mass that somehow thinks this is going to make our community safer? So I'm going to take off my partisan hat about this, put on my journalist hat. Okay. And, and speak to you about what I've seen in the polling and what I've and how I've seen the discussion go. Uh, there is a credible poll, one that I view as credible, that was put out by Emory a couple of weeks ago, that shows essentially a 50-50 split in the public. Half think it's a good idea, half thinks it's a bad idea. Virtually everybody has heard about it. A somewhat larger number of Black people, this is a bad idea. A somewhat larger number of white people think this is a good idea, but it's not quite that 
clear. It's not, this is not a, everybody in Buckhead thinks this is great. Right. Everybody else thinks this is, ter- this is terrible. There are, there are black voters, even people who you would describe as politically progressive black voters who have been looking at the crime over the course of the last three or four years. I've not realized that the homicide rate has fallen 28% in the last 365 days and 50% in the last 90 days. Like two numbers that are comparable to the multiple decade lows of 2019. They don't realize that for whatever reason, it's gotten better for whom this is an important issue because they are of they their view of police accountability and criminal justice reform is to see police officers in their neighborhood preventing crime. There's a subset, the black electorate, who believe that police discrimination as often as not involves police officers who won't who won't police their neighborhoods because they don't think they're valuable enough. I don't share that view. But there's a sentiment out there like that, and it explains why 40% of black voters think this is a good idea. But from a political perspective, it is just about the worst possible polling result for the mayor. Because if there was a clear, yes, we like this, no, we don't like it. He doesn't have to put his finger in the wind right now. He's thinking, I'm screwed no matter what I do. And it's part of the reason why I'm glad to see Gerald Griggs and other folks that I know are politically progressive and looking at this stuff like Walking to Polly or being Joyner or some of the other folks who have joined this new advisory council. Because if the mayor is going to change his mind, he needs an off-ramp. He needs a way to do it in a way that won't cost him an election. And this is, that's how you get there. That's just political tradecraft. Like the fact that you were named to it and you accepted means, in my opinion, he may actually be looking for a way out off the bus. Because if he just cancels it right now, all of the folks that are in favor of it will go, you're weak on crime and we're going to punish you. Mm-hmm. That could make for a very different, very difficult. Even though the crime rate has fallen, he, it might make his reelection difficult. At least that's what he's thinking. I think that's part of the reason why he's clinging to it as tightly as it is. It's because I believe that he thinks, and I actually think this is a big part of why the Atlanta Police Foundation is the way it is and why they're doing what they're doing. I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot here. Just bear with me. I don't think APF cares one way or another, or I should say the donors to APF. I don't think they care about the facility itself at all. I don't think it matters to them whatever it is that they're funding. Only that it creates political power for them over the mayor and that city council. They can say, look at what we've given you. Look at all of the political power we've amassed. We can put you out of office. Watch. Like, do what we say. And so this becomes a fulcrum that they can wrap all of their other interests on top of. 
And that's dangerous and that's difficult. And it requires a lot of community pushback in order to counteract that. It is counteractable. It's just politically difficult. Thank you for that, George. I, it's, I, my ears are like a little bit on fire because you know me, I'm a political consultant. And so I'm like, ah, there's some, yeah, the idea of who started it first, who started it second, where did the vote come in? Truth be told, constituents don't know. The ones that do know, they're probably outnumbered by the people who think this is Mayor Dre's baby and they don't know when the vote was taken. And so following the path of where did it come from is not usually where people begin. They are in the space of now and what that looks like. And I do know that we have a couple questions and actually have Rodney Adams on who does a lot of things in the Atlanta space and including political consulting in activism and so forth. And I see that in the chat, he even said, like, he's in favor of the facilities. I'm going to bring him on because I know you had a question and I know you have some questions. You have some statements, too. Rodney, the floor is yours. You're muted. You're still on mute. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you now. All right. I'm sorry. I'm in the backyard doing some, some gardening work. I'm in favor of, the, of Cop City because I see this is, as a training issue. That the the, the prevalence of the way that the police behave, whether it's shoot first, the manner in which they accost Black people disproportionately and, and the profiling and all those elements. I think that stuff is ingrained in them at, at a training limit at that point of initiation. And so I feel like this would be a, a great opportunity for the community to leverage all of this backlash that we're, we're having now as a means of getting them to actually institute the things that we're looking for, because they're starting with a blank slate. They, they actually, we actually can have a voice and a seat at the table in addressing how they deal with us. And I'm a glass half full guy. So I see Atlanta being at the forefront of, with this strength still at being the forefront of changing the way police behave and, and act and, and govern one another. So the opportunity is here for us. And because, like you guys said, the money is already there. It's a sweetheart deal for the city. It's going to be a tough fight to actually get them to reject this. The other part of the equation is, what else do we do? Because we, we, we still need police. We still need fire. And they still need training facilities in, in order to become what we want them to be. So how do we accomplish that if we're shutting down an opportunity for them to be what we want them to be. I'll let, let somebody respond to that. R Rem Young, you want to respond first? Me? Yep. Okay. I definitely will respond to that. First of all, I don't believe that we need police, but I respect anybody's opinion who does believe that we need police. People can talk about reimagining police. They can talk about better training, but the reality of it, police have been trained for decades upon decades and they're still doing the same thing. It's really not an issue of training. It becomes more about police culture and once police culture is changed and the culture of policing itself i'm still trying to understand in my mind where people began to think that you needed your body policed by another person and i can only think that it is ingrained in us from a little bit of slave mentality the trauma that we have endured in slavery as police started out as slave structures so we have to go back and look at the history of things and where they come from 
but I won't even delve too far into that. I'm trying to understand where is the community seat at the table? Because the community has been speaking out from the inception of the project and the community was not listened to. I see Mayor Andre Dickens going around to all types of places that he ain't never set foot before now that he feels like he can get some support for this project. But he should have done that before he voted for it. Although he was not mayor at the time, he was a council member and he could have gone to the community where he was. The poll that was done by Emory, first of all, I want y'all to understand something about polls. Y'all better look at the fine print when you read these polls. Look at the sample sizes. Look at the number of people who are polled. Look at where the poll is coming from and who is giving the feedback when it comes down to polls that are being done. There have been a few polls that have been done. And yes, George was exactly right when he talked about the statistics from the Emory poll. But there have been polls of the community at large right here in East Atlanta. And the majority of East Atlanta either says, no, we don't want Cop City anywhere or we don't want Cop City in our backyard. So it is an overwhelming majority right here in Southeast Atlanta where they're proposing to build. But Atlanta as a whole, the majority of the city of Atlanta does not want this project. I'm trying to understand where this blank slate is that we can write on. And if we're writing on this blank slate, who's listening? Who's responding? Who's advocating? Who is going to come to the aid of the people? Because this slate has not been blank. This slate is chock full of lies and deception. This slate is being shoved down the throats of the people of Atlanta and DeKalb County, the state of Georgia, and this nation. So I don't see that blank slate. I don't see that seat at the table. The only thing that I can say is that we as a community have to stand up and we know that we got our own table and we're going to take our table wherever it is that we go and we're going to sit at our table and let you know what it is that we want. And when we invite you to our table, you need to come correct. All right. Uh, Kyle, you wanted to respond to? Yeah. Rodney, I, I want to thank you for asking the question because I do think, to be frank, that there's a lot of folks who who feel the same way that Right. We have the luxury, most of the people on this panel of it's like my job is really to, to look into this campaign and look at the backgrounds of this facility. And my job well before this, as I mentioned, I was a, a uniformed member of the military. I went to facilities like this and I want to dispel a couple of the misconceptions that people may have about a facility like this. First of all, the sort of training that I'm sure most people in Atlanta and across the country would want to see for police. Is, is training that actually is based around de-escalation, around engaging with the community in a way in which we are avoiding violence, or, or really, as our colleagues have said here, examining alternatives to the police altogether for community safety. This facility is not going to be for that. When I was actually, when I was in the military, we used to do uh, what were called shoot-don't-shoot shoot drills. And those were very quick scenarios where you have to decide in this scenario, is it legal to shoot? Is it a situation where it makes sense to and where it does not? These are, you know, situations where you would be, these aren't situations in where you necessarily need a full-on mount town, and mount being the acronym that was stated earlier, military operations and urban terrain. De-escalation training. Training is actually to de-escalate a situation. You don't need a massive facility like this. Just as you can't bake a cake with a toaster, you, know, you can't teach someone to de-escalate in a war city. You know, that's the city is meant to replicate the urban environments where uh, some people see 
them operating in more of a combat way than in, in a community-based engagement way. The training that's going to take place there is not going to be something that I think is the training that the, the community thinks that they'll be getting. Uh, further, I want to highlight what George said earlier. Of the 40% that will be from Georgia that will be going there, there is, and this is not uncommon, you could have different police from around the world and such who, again, have different standards, but they pay into this facility uh, for access to the facility, so it becomes revenue generating. That's one of the major reasons, again, as George elevated, as to why you know this facility is becoming so important for the people who are trying to build it. It is not about creating a training environment where they're going to learn how to de-escalate a situation where someone is having a mental health crisis or deal with some of the more common issues that police deal with, like domestic violence calls. You don't need a massive combat city for that. So I do just want to elevate that that's the discrepancy between, I think, what people understand about the training and what will actually take place at this facility. Rodney, did you have some feedback or some any, any other thoughts? I'm sorry, Prepper for you. That's fine. We'll go, we'll go ahead since you're asking. Go ahead. You're muted again, Rodney. You're muted. Okay. I'm, I'm an old man. I know I look young, but I'm, I'm older than I look. So I have these technical difficulties sometimes. I hear you about about what the the training could or could not be, but the the, the point is all of those scenarios are still a part of their jobs. And I'm not advocating on behalf. Of, and that the funny thing is, when I've been talking to my progressive friends, it it makes me chuckle to to, to think that I actually sound like I'm advocating for for police. I'm not. I just I, I think as if we're going to talk about building building bridges between the, the police, because they, they, we need them, whether y'all believe it or not, because who who going to take up? Who who you going to call if somebody breaking your house today, Reverend? Well, you, you, if you really want me to answer that, we need. yeah, I mean, if you really want me to answer that, let, let me answer that. Let me answer that, because I think yeah. the sister, Reverend Kiana, and I'm going to ask Gerald to address it, and we want to get to some other questions. But it, part of the misnomer is there is no one to call. The police do not solve crime in our community. We pay tax dollars and they don't resolve crime. They don't resolve anything. If your house gets broken into, they not, you can call them. They still not going to do nothing. That's just reality. So think about that. And everybody I say that to me, oh, we need more police. And when's the last time you called the police and actually got service? And if, especially when it comes to quality of life crime. But for that matter, when people do get killed, the police don't solve crime in our community. They don't find missing women and children. They don't work. They just don't do anything. And unfortunately, part of that is the culture. As Reverend Young said, I taught in the D.C. Police Academy, Diversity Awareness and Sensitivity Training, the NAACP. We had a, a consent agreement. And let me just say that what I learned is this. As much as we believe, many of us believe the police are out here to harm us, many of them, the police believe that black people, just like you, Rodney, are targeting them. They think you, rather than you go out there working in your yard, you want to kill police. That's a, a mentality that they have. I'm serious about that. Right. Even some they black police training. officers. Huh? They've been, they, that's part of that. They developed that. So the question then becomes, if you're not ha having a facility that's going to take that out, extract that from the brain and the culture, I think that's the question everybody's raising. But more to your point, and we're going to move on. Gerald, the brother's talking about having a seat at the table. You're on the task force. You technically have a seat at the table. Is that an accurate thing to say, yeah, Gerald? Thing. So right there from the horse's mouth, is that, do you see that making a difference at this point? 
and I'm not saying you shouldn't be there, but are you seeing a manifestation of what Gerald is, I mean, what, what uh, Rodney's talking about in terms of that actually making a difference? We, we haven't had a meeting yet. So no, I haven't seen any type of productive um, conversation yet. Hopefully we will, but I come at it from a different perspective. I'm an officer of the court. I actually really am one of the ones who determine what a crime is and how you prevent crime and how you punish for violations of the law. And, and I push back every single day on law enforcement officers who say this. Listen, you, all you do is respond to a call for service, arrest a citizen, and bring the citizen to the one place where justice is meted out. And that's a courtroom. If we were talking about funding the court system to make the court system run more effectively, I'd be with them all day long, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the continued militarization of law enforcement and the over-policing in communities of color. And so that's why I'm at the table, to bring that perspective. So when the police chief starts talking or the mayor starts talking, I would tell them that I spent eight hours today in a courtroom cross-examining police officers who come to the conclusion that, yeah, we might have got the wrong person. So again, I come a little bit different in this perspective because I've been doing it for such a long time and I understand the conversation on both sides. My thing is we need to listen to the community. If the community is saying that they don't want $80 million training facility when there are two training for big ones, there's one in Gypstick that literally has a trap. It has a prison behind it. It has five or six dormitories. It's actually the biggest industry in that county. Why do we need one that size in Atlanta where we're not training the entire state? We're training one police force. And so that's where I have real issues. And then you have the, the, the FBI facility, which is down on coastal Georgia. Somebody in the chat put it down there, which is twice as big as that one. If we really are talking about this as a training issue and you have the funding, send them there, but don't build it in the middle of an urban forest, in the middle of the black community and try to tell the black community, oh, this is going to deal with the issue that we were marching for Rayshard Brooks or marching for Jimmy Atchison or marching for any of those others. Because the issue that we're talking about there is the law in Georgia that allows police officers to testify before the grand jury and we're not getting grand jury indictments or we got prosecutors who aren't even presented to a grand jury. That's the issue when we talk about police accountability. That's the issue that people were marching about, not attempting to say we can train our way out of this. You can't train your way out of this. But what you can do is send people to prison and they learn that there are um, repercussions for their for their conduct and they will be punished like anybody else. Consequences and repercussions. Amen. This is Kadada. We have another question. So we just, I do have a question for Chidi, just in regards to when it comes to specifically, because I do want to get back to community and the polls, and I'm going to leave the social scientists and me alone about polls and so forth. But I will say, what are your thoughts around who in the community gets to have the loudest voice? Because I know particularly in that community, the NPU in that area is for quote unquote cop city. And so what do you see? Because I think me living in Buckhead has a different experience than people living in East Atlanta. Yeah, I'll buy that. I am going to be a social scientist person for a second. Just, I have an MBA from Georgia Tech. 
I have been on design teams for polls at major media and looking at polls in very skeptical ways since Bill Clinton was in office. One of the reasons I've alighted on the Emory poll is because when you really do drill down into its methodology, it is method- methodologically sound. And a lot of the other polling, and in particular, the quote polls, unquote, being released by the city of Atlanta about all of this stuff are highly questionable. Even now, as we've been on this Zoom call, the city has been constantly messaging with videos, residents near the proposed training facility saying, yeah, this is a good idea and we should really have that because they're in a full court PR press. And so I think there's, I think there really is value in being skeptical about whoever's numbers are being promulgated without drilling down into the data. Like I did that, but what I'm looking at is 50-50 or close enough. What isn't clear to me is how malleable those opinions actually are, how much, how well those opinions will hold up with contact with actual facts. Take Rodney, for example. Rodney, if you're still listening, I completely respect your position on this. It's not unreasonable to say, okay, I'm in favor of well-trained cops. Why not do them here? Like maybe their training is a good, could be a good thing. And problem is once you drill down into the actual details of what's being proposed, like you have to start asking questions about whether or not that's actually what you're going to get. This idea, we talked about a definition of police accountability earlier, and there are two sort of flavors of accountability. There's the accountability of an individual police officer in their conduct and duty and behavior about whether or not they were supposed to shoot this person or arrest this person, or whether or not they were treating this person with dignity and respect and fairness. And then there's the institutional accountability, and that's where we are right now. This the police department and the city, really specifically the city, is evading accountability, like in all of the democratic ways you'd expect it to, by being like by having to stand in front of voters and citizens and residents and say and hear about what they actually want out of this, and then giving it to them, and then assuring that they have actually given them what they said they were going to give them. Yeah, well, we're talking about the folks who live near the facility. It's a mixed bag. Some of them are in favor of it. Many of them are not. I have heard, as I've been talking to folks, people like, can I use the gun range while I'm there? Because I live in the neighborhood. For real, like we live in Georgia. That should not be surprising to anybody. But there are people who are very concerned. And it's not all anti-policing stuff. It's, is my house going to get flooded out because they didn't do the environmental design? Because... They really wanted to get this built and cut corners. Like the, the process itself is so, has been flawed, frankly. Like, and because the process, why do you start having to ask really basic questions about whether or not you're getting what you're paying? Yeah. All right. Uh, sounds good. I, I, we're just about out of time. Kadada, was there one other question we need to get? Or are we good? We're good. Okay. Let me thank all of you for joining us tonight. Thank all the panelists. Thank Community First Solutions. It, th- some of you have been asking whether this is me transcribed. It, it will live on our social media, so you can always go look in the video 
make it plain. We'll post it as part of the podcast as well. Let me thank Gerald, Gerald Griggs. And this is an ongoing conversation, obviously. Let me thank Gerald Griggs, President State Conference of the Georgia NAACP, George Cheedy of The Intercept and other publications, Reverend Keanu Jones, Kyle Bibby of Color of Change. Go to colorofchange.org and also in the chat, and we put it online too in the, in the streams where you can go and sign the position if you, okay, so this is this is a this is an important conversation, obviously, that we'll need to continue. Again, thank you to all of you for joining us, all of the panelists, and I'm sure we'll be uh, following this up. Thank you, thank you to you as well, Kadala. Folks, I'm headed to Memphis for part two of trying to get the Justins, the second Justin, restored, and keep us in prayer about about that as as well. I think Reverend Young said it too. This, what the police do is also part of a culture of gun violence. And that's why those brothers and Representative Johnson uh, stood up. It's interesting that the, the right-wing evangelicals in Tennessee did not even comprehend the theological irony of convicting and trying to remove or crucify three people on the eve of the first three that were crucified in the same week that another three were crucified in Memphis in the state of Tennessee. And then a few days later, they get restored. So we'll continue to watch that. Stay tuned for that as well. God bless you all. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.